we're thankful for another opportunity to get to look into the Word of God today. Thank God for His mercy and grace and His marvelous provision for us as His people. Um, greatest of all, as we just celebrated Christmas, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, given for our sins that we might enter into life and fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. hope everyone's doing well. Um, we'd like to continue our study of John chapter number 3. Last time we looked at the brazen serpent, the type and shadow in the Old Testament of the work that Jesus Christ came to accomplish uh, in the New Testament. And again, all of the Old Testament points to the Son, Jesus Christ, uh, looking ahead to the work that He would do through types, shadows, prophecies, and visions. All are looking to the work of Jesus Christ, and Jesus uses that brazen serpent as an example of Him. And remembering this, that in this discourse, Nicodemus doesn't understand what it means to be born again. And that's what Jesus is explaining to him, a ruler of the Jews. He's explaining to him the meaning of being born again and the true work that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming to perform. Not to set the nation of Israel free from the rulership of Rome, not to sit on the natural throne of David and rule over a natural earthly kingdom, but to come to bring salvation and redemption both to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So we read in verse 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. So for that cause Jesus was sent that man could believe in him and be saved. And you know, uh, that whosoever, that opens the way to anybody, every race, every religious background, every culture, every country, every person on the face of the earth can believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. But now also, and we looked last time, not to misunderstand that verse as it's so often taken. If you just believe, you can be saved. Not to misunderstand it or misinterpret the scripture in that manner. We looked in John chapter 1, in John chapter 6, in Romans chapter 9. We looked in Luke and in Matthew at Peter and how that it wasn't flesh and blood that taught him. It's not by the strength, it's not by the will, nor is it by the wisdom of man that one can come to believe on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, but it must be given to him from heaven. God the Father, through the Spirit, must convict and convince a man, and he uses the gospel as the means to do that, and draw a man to the Son, Jesus. And if no man is drawn by the Father, then he cannot believe in Jesus 
and be born again. So the whosoever, it's there. It's true. It's saying that it's not just to the Jew, but it's to every race, creed, and religion, and every social background. And no matter whether you're rich or poor, a beggar or a king, the way is open that whosoever believeth. And that believing is tied to the work of God through the Spirit and the Gospel. Without the work of God, there is no true faith. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we're not talking about hearing with a natural ear. Uh, Festus heard with a natural ear. Felix heard with a natural ear. And many others heard with a natural ear that we have examples of in the Bible, and they did not believe. So it's a deeper hearing than that. It's hearing in the heart, the inward man and the heart of man being opened and drawn by the Holy Ghost through the gospel to see his condition and to be brought to salvation all by the will of God. So in John 3.16, probably the most well-known and well-quoted verses in our world today and and maybe for years and years and years this may be the number one verse of the Bible as our world would know it and for good reason a wonderful message and really this is a wonderful time of the year to look at it having just passed Christmas and the uh, the remembrance of the gift that God gave to the world for their salvation but also one that is misused. So let's look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if, if you notice, the last half of verse 16 and verse number 15 is almost word for word exactly the same. The only thing that's different is instead of eternal life that we see in 15, we have everlasting life in verse 16. So the message in verse 15 and the latter half of 16 is exactly the same. That God sent His Son, and now notice what's not there. You hear this, maybe not as the verse is quoted, but you hear whosoever will. You hear that often. Well, that's not here. It's whosoever believeth. And when you say whosoever will, that would almost lead you to believe that, well, if the man will, then he can. But that's not the case. This is all opened by the drawing, by the election, by the sovereignty of God to bring man to Jesus Christ for salvation. So, for God so loved the world. How did God love the world? So for means to properly assign a reason. So God's going to tell us why that he sent his son into the world. This is the assigned reason that God says that he sent his son into the world. For God so loved. So the word so there is in this way or in this manner. So God so loved, God in this manner loved 
the world. And that love is the motivation that God sent His Son into the world. It was not for any deserving part on man's part of the deal. It wasn't that we had earned it or that we were good enough to earn that, but it was because God was loving and compassionate towards man. And if God did not love man, God would not be long-suffering. God would not be merciful. God would not be kind. And God would not have provided redemption through His Son to man if He did not first love man. So this love of God, we'll look for just a minute in 2 Corinthians I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, chapter number 13, what's known as the chapter of love by a multitude of people. But really what this is, this is a picture of the attributes of love and the word you see often, agape, that self-sacrificing love, more than affection, more than thoughts, but that actual self-sacrificing love a love that would bring you to the place that you would give of yourself to your hurt. That's the kind of love that God has for man. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. So why is God so kind? Why is He so long-suffering? Why is He not puffed up? Why does He not uh, get provoked and destroy mankind? It's because of the compassion and the love of God towards man. Uh, and, it, you know, we could look in Romans 3, and I feel we've looked there many times. But we'll just read one verse. Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So by the works of the law, no flesh can be justified. That means that no man is righteous by the law, by the standard of God's righteousness. Now if you took man's view of it, there's men that are better than others in the eye of man. But as God looks by His standard, the law of God, there's not one that is righteous that has upheld the law for their entire lifespan on this earth. There's none that meets the standard. So there's none that's earned righteousness. But God in His compassion for man and man's hopeless case gave His Son. And in Luke chapter number 2, part of the Christmas story as we call it, but really what it is is the story of Jesus Christ. Verse number 10, And the angel said unto them, the shepherds, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So would you say here, you can see the whosoever. The whosoever was proving that the way of salvation was open unto all of mankind. So here the angel speaking to the shepherds says, I've got good tidings of great joy. I've got wonderful news that's good for all of mankind. There is the whosoever. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. So God so loved, he loved the world in such a manner that here he's sending his son to be born, and we know the purpose, that man could be redeemed. The motivation was the love of God and his compassion for the helpless and the hopeless state of man. There was no other way for man to be saved. There was no other means of deliverance. So God provided because he loved man. Now, you, you run into the argument, well, God don't love or we wouldn't endure these things. Well, the truth is, all of the bad that you see in this world is a result of sin. So instead of getting angry at God for the suffering and the death and all of the evil that we endure, we ought to give great tidings unto God that He provided His Son Jesus that we could escape this sin-cursed world. Satan is the prince of this world. If we're going to be angry at one for the suffering and for the death and for the evil in this world, we ought to be angry towards Satan and really towards ourselves who brought it through sin. But God loves mankind. We know that because He gave His Son. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 6, very popular and familiar scripture, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So when we had no ability whatsoever, without strength, no ability to do anything about our helpless case. Now, you want to talk about whosoever will, well, here's man, and he's hopeless, he's helpless, and he's without strength, unable to do anything to help his fallen, sinful, and wretched condition. He is guilty before God, and he can do nothing to remedy that. Well, when we were in that state, Christ died for the ungodly. So what could man do? Well, we could do nothing. And if Christ wasn't given, there was no means for anything to be done for man. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, so scarcely with great difficulty. If there was a, a great man, a good man, a man that was a benefit to a multitude of people, it would take difficulty for you to die so that man could live. It would be with great difficulty and struggle that you could die for somebody that was a good, upstanding, and a moral man, and a man that was a great help to all of the world. It would be with difficulty and with pains that that would happen. Peradventure, by chance, for a good man, would some even dare to die. I mean, you get it down now. How many people would you die for? I believe we would die for our close family, for those that we love. But now you get outside of that. How many people would you willingly lay your life down so that they could live? Very, very few. And it would be with great difficulty if we did. But God commendeth his love toward us. So that word means to set together or to exhibit. It's like at the museum, you go and look at the exhibits to see what they're trying to get across to you. Well, here, God put His love. His love was on exhibit. It was set on display toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we were sinners at the time. We were not moral people. We were not good people. We weren't in the family of God. We didn't love God. We weren't obedient to God. We didn't want to be obedient to God. We sure didn't love Him. And we didn't care what He said. And we didn't care about His judgment. That's the state that mankind was in. And when we were in that state, God died for us, not just for the good, and not just for his family, and not just for those that he was dear to, but God loved the wicked and all of the world that he gave his son to die that they would not have to suffer. He gave him for the guilty. So, you would die for your son, you would die for your daughter, probably be willing to die for your wife, and ladies may be willing to die for their husband. But God gave His Son for wicked, ungodly sinners. Now, how much greater love can you get than that? Me laying my life down for my son, that's a great love. That's a great natural love that he could live, I would sacrifice my life for that. But God sacrificed the life of his son that all of man, the wicked, the hateful, and the evil, that man could be saved. And what were we? We were enemies. This is Romans 5 verse 10. When we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So God gave his son that we could be pulled 
from the wrath, the anger, and the judgment of our own sin be saved and in God's family. Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, verse number 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So, I, this is far too big for my mind to really settle on and get a hold of. But Jesus Christ, the man, was God in the flesh. God was on the throne in heaven. God the Father was on the throne, but God was in the man, Jesus Christ, and that was God reconciling all of the world unto himself through the death of his Son. This was the work of Almighty God, and it was given not so that God could become a greater God, but so that man might be delivered. In 1 John 4, verse number 9, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. So God sent His Son that we could be alive. God's not more alive today than He was before Jesus. God's not more God today than He was before Jesus. He's not got more control over man today than He did before. God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's unchanged and there's not even a shadow of turning within Him. God's the same and He's unchanged. But God sent Jesus not for His benefit, but for the benefit of mankind that man could believe, be saved, plucked as a brand from the burning, and set in the very kingdom of God, righteous and holy in His sight, for our benefit and for our good. Herein is love, not that we loved God, now, it's easy to love somebody that loves you, isn't it? But what about loving somebody that don't like you? And that's hateful towards you. That's always got a snide remark towards you. That doesn't like what you say, makes it evident, doesn't listen to what you say, doesn't want to, it's hard to love somebody like that, isn't it? Well, here's love. Not that we loved God, because we certainly didn't, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a greater picture there. That word propitiation, the appeasement of the wrath of God, kind of the same word as the Old Testament word atonement. I'm guilty without question. I'm in danger of the judgment because I've sinned and I've not measured up to the law of God. Jesus is going to be the propitiation for all of those situations. The wrath of God towards me for my sin, He's going to suffer and be hung on a cross as payment for my sins. My unrighteousness and inability to keep the law 
He's going to live a perfect life up to that death on the cross that that might be imputed to me. So my penalty for sin, my judgment, is laid on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness is laid on me. What a transaction that was made by the love and the compassion of Almighty God. Now, for man to say in any little bit that he's done something and he's worked this out and this is why God saved him in Jesus, that's the wrong thing to say because the Bible tells me it was because God loved me that he saved me. And it wasn't because he loved me because I'd done something. It was the very compassion of God. So all of the glory redounds that God loved us and gave his son for us. There's no glory to man, but it's glory to God in the highest. Peace, goodwill towards men. We glorify and exalt him for his work in us. And again, that whosoever believeth in him and remember the whosoever. The whosoever is it's open to all of mankind. But the word believeth is in there as well. So it's open to all of man that believes. So we're narrowing it on down. And I'm not going to go over it again. You can go back to the previous episode of the Bible study and hear us break it all down. But that word believeth is dependent upon the election and the working and the convincing and the drawing of the Holy Ghost by God the Father. Don't spit that out. Go back and listen to the last one if you've not yet and you'll hear it and I believe we'll see it plainly. It's not, well, all you got to do is believe and you're born again. That lie has been uh, told to countless people and caused them to believe that they're right when they are not. If everybody that believed was saved and made new creatures, I believe you could look and see our world and it would be a completely different place than what it is now. But you've got a lot of believers in the mind as the devils believe and tremble and yet there's no true faith towards God. That only comes by the working and the drawing of the Father. Should not perish, be destroyed fully. And you talk about a complete destruction. We're not talking about laid in a grave up on a graveyard hill somewhere. We're talking about being cast out of the presence of God into a furnace of fire. Jesus died that we wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That was his sacrifice for mankind. So verse 17, we're back now in John 3, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So sent, set apart, or sent out on a mission. Jesus was not set apart for this mission to condemn the world, to decide or to punish or to judge the world. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world. The world did not need condemned. The world was already condemned. The law was already on the scene. The perfect righteousness of God was already on display. And it was already well known that mankind could not keep the law. Man was condemned before Jesus Christ ever 
came on the earth. If Jesus had not came, the world would still be condemned in sin, and only destruction would there be for man. So, and I want to I want to stop right there, and I want to make it. I want to go over that plainly so that we understand it. I feel like this is a a very important thing for us to understand. And a lot of the opposition to election is because of a misunderstanding of this fact. So let's go back now to before the very first Christmas, before Jesus was ever born. Let's go a hundred years back before Jesus was born, just, just because that's an easy number. Where was mankind as a whole at that time? He was condemned. The Jews, they had a temple. They were offering sacrifices. And really, they were offering every day. The high priest could only go into the holy place once a year. And when he went in, he had to go as God prescribed, clean in the right garments, with blood for himself and for his own sin, and for the sins of all of Israel, he went in and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. They were condemned. And he makes that plain in Hebrews, that priest of the Old Testament, he couldn't even go into the holy place without blood for his sins. So man was admittingly sinful. Even the high priest, the highest office of service towards God under the Old Testament law, he was a sinner and had to have blood. The world was condemned. So, if Jesus did not come, what would be the end state of man? Had Jesus never been born, where would the world be? Remember now, you say, well, the Jews would have been saved by their sacrifices, No, no, no. That is a misunderstanding. They were never saved because they offered sacrifices on an altar. That was types and shadows. And those sacrifices that they offered by the word of God in Hebrews could never make the comers thereunto perfect. It never perfected or made a man righteous. What that was, was a type and shadow of the work of the coming Messiah, and they offered those in faith, them that were saved, they offered those in faith, looking down the road towards the one that would come that was going to take away sins forever and ever. So without Jesus... Those sacrifices of the Old Testament law were absolutely worthless to the salvation of mankind. So had Jesus never come, every single man, woman, boy, and girl would fall to the wrath of God and be judged guilty and cast into the lake of fire. So what you have... If you're looking, and we'll use a picture out of the Bible, if you're looking at a lump of clay, and we say that lump of clay is all of mankind from Adam to the last man or woman on the earth, the whole lump is condemned, guilty, 
lost and in danger of the wrath of God without question and without hope. So the whole lump of man is going to be destroyed in hell. That was the condition of the world before Jesus came. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. The world was already lost, already sinful, already guilty, and already on the road to face the wrath of God. So Jesus came as a means of salvation and as a means of mercy and as a means of God showing compassion to the lost lump of Adam. God is not condemning and making people go to hell. That is not the case. The world was going to hell and all of the world would without the divine intervention of God. And you can fit that up two different ways if you'd like. You could say Jesus Christ, His appearing on the earth and His sacrifice on the cross, man had nothing to do with that. And you say, well, the Romans and the Jews, they sacrificed Jesus and it was their fault. Well, by the word of God, preached on the day of Pentecost, that was done through the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God predetermined that that would happen. That was God doing that work. So if Christ had not intervened in the uh, estate of man, there would be no means of man being delivered and saved. And also in our individual life, if God did not intervene divinely by His Spirit and the Gospel and convict, convince, and draw us unto His Son, there would be no hope for man. So you see, the salvation of man in every way, chiefly, as Paul would write, hinges on the intervention of God in the lives of and in the affairs of man. So, where's man at? He's lost. He's on the road to hell. He's there by his own devices, by his own thinking, by his own choice, and by his own will. He's lost without hope. So God had to intervene and send his son Jesus that man could be delivered. He did that. That work is done. So there's now a way and a means for lost and dying and hopeless man to be delivered from his sin and be delivered from the wrath of God. That is his son Jesus. Now is it unfair of God to take some of that lost and condemned lump and redeem it out of there? Well, God shouldn't take some of the lump. He ought to take all of the lump. Well, you take that up with God, and you take that up with His Word. But is it wrong of God to give His Son that He could redeem a portion of the lump of mankind? We know by the Bible, the whole lump's not going to be saved. There's going to be many in that day that saith, Lord, Lord, did you not? And did we not? So the whole lump's not going to heaven. 
All of man is not saved. Is it wrong of God to save some of man? I think not. If, if it wasn't for God, all of man would go to hell. The only reason there is a few that believe is because God, through His grace and divine intervention, made a way for that to be. And even those that, would, don't, that wouldn't agree with election and want to argue, they can't argue with the fact that God divinely intervened with nothing of man when He sent His Son Jesus. That was a complete and total work of Almighty God. So God sent not His Son into the world to condemn. In Luke chapter 9, verse number 56. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So here, James and John, and I'm sure most Bible readers are familiar with this, there were some that uh, Samaritans that wouldn't receive Jesus. James and John said, should we call fire down from heaven upon them? Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy, but to save men's lives. Man doesn't need help in destroying. If God withdraws and leaves man alone, he's going to destroy his own self. He's going to lead his own life into the judgment and into the wrath of God. Wouldn't have you... I mean, I, I think if, if you're truly saved and born again and a child of God, I believe you can see that had God not by His Spirit convicted, convinced, and drew your soul to Him, we would still be lost today and I've heard many testimonies say these words, I would probably be in hell today had God not passed by. Can you not see that? God don't have to move to destroy man. Man will destroy himself. God moves through His Son and the Spirit to save man out of that destruction. Man was already on the road to hell. He was already lost. He says in John chapter 5, verse 45, this is the words of Jesus, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Jesus says, I don't have to bring accusation against you. You're already guilty. You're guilty of the law that Moses brought. You're guilty of the Old Testament. You're already proven a sinner. You're already lost without hope. So God sent His Son. The Bible says, let me go back to John chapter 3. Let's read the latter portion of that verse. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 6 we read, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So Jesus gave himself as a ransom. He's paying the debt that we owed to God that we could be delivered out of that. You know, you think of a kidnapping. The kidnappers ask for a ransom. That ransom is paid and they release the captive. Well, we owed a ransom to God and not of money. 
but of blood. Our sin and the wages of sin was death, and we owed God death, and not just death in a grave, <coughs> but again that soul death, that death in hell forever and ever that could never be paid. Jesus gave himself a ransom, and Jesus' life and his sacrifice and his resurrection is sufficient to deliver and to save all of mankind. Now, it's not just a few going to be saved because that's all that Jesus' blood would cover or atone for. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to deliver and atone for all of mankind. In 1 John 2, I believe we'll see this even more, and we'll try to expound just a little bit on this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. So John's writing to the church here. He is the propitiation for our sins. We're saved, aren't we? Well, we're saved because Jesus paid and atoned for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He didn't just pay for the sin of them that are saved, but Jesus' death and sacrifice was sufficient to make payment for the sins of the entire world. Atonement for all of the world. Uh, in First Timothy, one more time in First Timothy, chapter number 1, verse number 15. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So the work of Jesus was not to condemn. The world was already condemned. It was not to destroy. All of man was going to be destroyed. But it was to save and to atone and to make payment for the sins of mankind. And it wasn't just sufficient for a few his sacrifice was sufficient for all of the world if they would believe. How do we know that? Okay, so we believe that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Who's going to be resurrected at the last day? In Daniel, the prophet Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel sees a resurrection, not just of those that are saved and that are going to enter into life, but he sees a resurrection from the dead of those also that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. He sees what John sees in Revelation, chapter number 20, verse number 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, 
and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So all of the world is going to be raised at the last day. Some to face the judgment of the wrath of God. Some to enter into the life and salvation that was provided through the ransom of Jesus. In Matthew, one more place, we'll look at a parable. And we'll see this, I believe. This is Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all His holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them from one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. So you can read the rest of that if you would like. So when He comes in His glory, when He comes back the second time, every nation and every soul that ever lived is going to be before Him, and He's going to judge and separate them. So Jesus' sacrifice. Now, you've got people being resurrected. So how can that be? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we were dying and dead, but at that final resurrection, the victory of death is going to be taken away, and the sting of death is not going to be affected. So what is death? Death is a result of sin. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So why did man die? Because he sinned. Why did man die naturally? Because of sin. Where did sin originate from? From the devil. So mankind was held in death because of the victory that the devil won over Adam and over Eve in causing them to believe a lie and causing them to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And all of man, when they died, there was no resurrection. Man was dead. He was buried, and there he was. Peter says on the day of Pentecost that David died, was buried, and his, his bones, his dust, still with us today. David didn't get up. There was no resurrection. But Jesus died so that David, and all of those that died in faith in the Old Testament, and all of the church that believed in, and died in faith in the New Testament, can be resurrected unto life. But what about those that's dead? that did not die in faith. What about them? How are they going to get up at the end? 
by the same sacrifice of Jesus. And they're going to be judged. They're going to be judged by the standard of the man Jesus Christ. And if they're not written in the book of life, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. There will be no victory for the devil. Death will not have victory. But man will be cast into the lake of fire as to whether he believed the gospel and was saved or he rejected the Son Jesus Christ and was not saved. So Jesus' death was sufficient to pay for the sins of mankind. But that payment is only effectual. It only has effect in them that believe. Them that do not believe, though Jesus died and their sins were paid for, without faith they cannot enter into the life that Jesus died and paid for. They cannot be delivered. Remember in Hebrews, without faith it's impossible to please God. Though Jesus' death was sufficient to pay for the sins of all mankind, except man believe and repent at the gospel, he cannot be saved. We'll stop there. I hope that we wasn't too confusing and I hope you can see what we're saying. Jesus' death, the only means of redemption. Without His death, there is no redemption. Jesus' death, sufficient for all of man, that all could believe and be saved, but only effectual for them that believe and are saved. We hope again that you had a Merry Christmas and hope you have a wonderful New Year, just a few days left, uh, as we record this, until the new year, 2021. We hope the Lord blesses you. Hope you have wonderful services tonight. And uh, I guess I should say, in the past we've been trying to release the Bible studies on a Monday. We're going to move that to Wednesday because... We typically have a Sunday school coming out on Sundays. We try to do that every Sunday. And so on Wednesdays, we'll try to release Bible studies and give a little time in between. We hope the Lord blesses you. We ask you to pray for us. We'll try to remember all of you that listen. We love you. Thank you.